0: Just a heads up, before we start this episode, in it we talk a little bit about substance abuse and addiction, so if that's something that you don't want to deal with right now, then go ahead and skip this episode. If you need help, then you can call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration helpline, that's 1-800-662-HELP, 1-800-662-4357, that's 365 24 7 and it is free as well so make sure you are taking care of yourselves and don't be afraid to ask for help now on with the show the following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions Listen up. ah man remember saturday morning cartoons before they had whole channels just devoted to cartoons
1: it was the best yeah. it was what you looked <laughs> most forward to in the week i mean you know some good old Hanna-Barbera, a little bit schoolhouse rock, you know. Do you remember the, the, uh, there was like one public service announcement guy was the, uh, um, the yuck mouth. I can't remember exactly how it went. It's like the, you know, to get people to brush their teeth, don't be a yuck mouth. Yeah, yeah I remember that. All the good old days. <laughs> I think it was the, the
0: reason I learned to program the VCR was to, uh, Make sure I recorded the cartoons, had to figure it all out, had to map it out. It's like, okay. And I remember they had, like, um, they'd have, like, a preview of the Saturday morning cartoons. They'd have, like, special shows, like, a couple weeks before they started it in the fall or whatever. And so it's like, okay, we're going to preview. It's like, oh, we're going to have these new cartoons and blah, blah, blah. And these are going to be the times that they're on. Like, oh, yeah. It's like, okay, so i got to watch uh, ABC from this time to this time and then switch over to NBC And then, uh, go back to ABC and then, uh, CBS and, oh man, I got to decide what I want to do if this, like Fox is on at the same time or is this other one and all that other sort of stuff.
1: I was big into the, uh, the Laugh Olympics. Oh Um, yeah. Laugh Olympics. um, See, there was the, uh, the bad guys and there was, oh, it was like, uh, every Hanna-Barbera cartoon mashed together. So you had the super friends and Scooby-Doo and, um, I'm trying to think of others that were mixing That those are like the prominent ones. Yeah, Yogi Bear. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm they had they Who's... had like a theme for how the how the teams were separated. Though I can't remember. It's like it wasn't like the animal kind of people on one team and the people on the on one team. Because I know like yep. it was like Scooby Doo and like and Jabberjaw. Yeah, I think oh on the God. same team or something like that. <laughs> Jabberjaw.
1: <laughs> oh man. There were the the folks at Hanna Barbera. I think, um, were either recovering from um, a long '70s acid trip or had just had interpreted it from somebody <laughs> because it was quite remarkable what was going on there. That was that was like the the original you know crossover um, of 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 content. I mean, the Super Friends with Scooby Doo, with Jabberjaw, with Captain Caveman. Yeah. The only guys that I remember from the the evils are the ones that stand out were Muttley and um, where oh, was yeah. his little uh, the guy who's the crazy pilot for him? Can't uh, remember. Dick Dastardly because they brought him
0: back in that uh, in that Scoob movie that they had uh, recently.
1: Really, yeah. Oh my, I'm out of touch. They tried to establish the Hanna-Barbera
0: cinematic universe kind of uh, with that. That would be great. <laughs> Yeah, the the I watch that because my kid's real into Scooby-Doo, which I'm kind of glad of. It's like, oh, yeah, one of those old cartoons that is kind of, you know, crappy. <laughs> but you look back on it sort of fondly, but it's like, oh, the plot isn't really there, but it's kind of cool to kind of like, okay, you got to think about it. It's like, oh, who's the mystery? Who's the bad guy? Try to
1: think. There's clues. Yeah, all of those are, like kind of fall into that boat, those those oldies, but goodies, you know, they just have those, mm-hmm. like, Um, charming ridiculous thing things that go on in them um scooby-doo being probably the the top tier but um occasionally (laughs) to watch like the old super friends is is quite entertaining um and then um, Mm -hmm. i was recently i'd seen um somehow somewhere i was watching the flintstones and i'm like this is just unbelievable in terms (laughs) of like how bizarrely out of touch with reality it is but yet charmingly funny
0: oh well, you know just uh
1: trying to make the honeymooners for kids <laughs> yeah basically that's what it was even though it was a primetime show yeah yeah i think the 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 more recent iterations of of
0: scooby-doo are are a whole lot better i can like stand to watch those and yeah. get into oh, them absolutely. and
1: stuff and yeah, no, the classics are are they're pure man <laughs> They're like, I guess they're like uh, what everybody says, like, oh, the weed
0: back in the day was uh, was was uh, so much uh, less potent than it is nowadays. I guess it mm-hmm. can be said for cartoons and jokes. I'm like, huh, you know what? I think we can make these things even more funny. <laughs> People can probably handle it, I guess. I don't know. Yep.
1: Or we got more money to put to hire better writers or something. I would think that it's probably something along those lines. Wow! Welcome to Season 6,
0: Episode 4 of the Better Band Podcast. An all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, a different guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon, your host. Today, we are talking about the binaural track and first single, Nothing As It Seems, with my guest today, Patrick Bogle. Hello, Patrick. Hello. How are you doing, Brandon?
1: I'm doing well. And how about you? Um, I'm feeling like uh, it's a good Saturday now that we've been able to connect after our, my rampant computer issues, but i uh, doing well.
0: <laughs> you know what? What would this specific podcast be? I think without uh, a little technical difficulties, uh, you got to uh, to uh, uh, work our way through. Absolutely. Yeah, it adds a little adds a little hominess. You know, it's not one of those shiny, you know, network podcasts or Spotify exclusives. People getting actually paid to do podcasts and stuff. This is this is down rock and roll yet? garage podcasting. Yeah. It's the only way to do it, keeping it, it real. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, this is the first single from the album by NARL, uh, released on April 25th, 2000. Um, they started playing on radio, I believe, a little bit before that, though. But the actual uh, single physical single was released on uh, April 25th with the B side Insignificance. And uh, if you had the import version, uh, you also got a bonus Footsteps and Better Man uh, recorded at the Bridge School concert on August... Uh, or, ooh, I don't know if it was on the same day, but it was at the Bridge School concerts where Nothing As It Seemed premiered on October 31st, uh, 1999. Uh, I
1: should have looked that up if it was from the exact same show or not. I think the... Better Man and Footsteps are from the 30th, and um, they did actually play Nothing, as it seems, at the 31st. It was the only bridge shows that I actually attended. um, Oh, really? Although I didn't see Pearl Jam on the 31st because they played too late, and we were flying back. My wife and I were uh, in San Francisco for the weekend, and uh, yeah, so... I've forgiven her for that, but <laughs> we, I did miss Pearl Jam set on the thirty first. It was a little bit harrowing at the time, um, but I've uh, I've managed to get past it. Um, where they actually debuted this song, I did get to see the debut of Thin Air, though. No, yeah. um, but I've got the uh, I've also got the twelve inch single, the the vinyl release, mm-hmm. the um, made in the UK. Um, it's one of my my happier Pearl Jam artifacts. Yeah, I think
0: I, I bought the uh, just the two-track CD at uh, Tower Records and then came back a couple weeks later and then saw the import, and I was like, damn it, it's got the exact same two songs, but then it's got those bonus songs. What do I do? <laughs> I gotta yeah. buy
1: it. Yeah, I have all the versions of it. I've got the the 12-inch, I bought the, uh, the import CD single, and then I've also had the U.S. version because on the – the single that i had it doesn't have insignificance on the cd single it has it on the 12 inch but it doesn't have it on the cd so i had to get the i got them all Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) yeah something you you know when you're young you got that disposable income you like pearl jam you're like well i'll uh, never run out of things to buy i guess i think at that time
1: honestly i've got more Got more disposable income now than I did then. I think I was just. Uh, oh, okay. I think I was just grossly unrealistic with uh, with my spending. I was living in Manhattan at the time. Um, I certainly didn't have kids yet. I was just beginning working at at that point. I'd been out of college for like for, what five years, so just slowly beginning to um, accumulate the ability to do things, um, yeah. which is not easy in the city of Manhattan. It's it's a wondrous place. But it's not um, it's not exactly um, a, an affordable um, city, if you will. You gotta <laughs> definitely oh, yeah. have to figure out how to make things uh, work there. But I remember picking the the CD singles up at um, probably HMV. I think I got them at the record itself. Um, there was a couple of record stores down in the village that um, that would get the releases. You know, because typically what would happen is they would ship the releases and receive them on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think they was Mondays or Tuesday, I guess it was Tuesday that they went on sale and Monday, if they would, I don't think anyone did Monday or did uh, the midnight sale for this, but they had a couple of the stores that I would go to. I knew that they had it. So they had already received it and one of them would actually sell it in advance. So I actually picked it up the, the full album, the Friday before it actually um, went on sale. Um, so that's how much of a nut I was. I was probably one of the few remaining in um, or at least I felt like I was one of the few remaining in Manhattan, which is weird when you have that many people there. But I just I felt like a a Pearl Jam fan on a deserted island in 2000. Yeah, I know. I felt kind of uh, like it's like, oh,
0: I got to get there to shop early so I can get make sure I get Pearl Jam before they sell out. Oh, but, And that's kind of, you know, seeing it there and going up it's like, oh, Pearl Jam. Oh, they're still around. Oh, OK, here you go like oh oh, (laughs) yeah yeah, i guess i still like rolled you
1: (laughs) yeah that's why i think i was able to get the vinyl release i mean it's just like nobody bought the stuff Mm -hmm. so i think i I think i paid maybe 14.99 for the 12 inch maybe it was a little bit more because it was an import per se but um uh it's just like to me like at the time again like nobody where i was it just was not. I didn't, I didn't know, um, all the, all the, people I knew through Pearl Jam were people that I traded tapes with mm-hmm. and that was it. Um, and that was, that was kind of my, my universe at the time trading tapes. And then at this, this point we started going into the trading CDRs and whatnot, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was not, it was not like, uh, going out to buy verses.
0: Okay, so let's get into some more facts about this song. Uh, I mean, have it a little bit more, I guess, but uh, Jeff uh, Aimant wrote the music and lyrics to this. Uh, I believe that he wrote this also around the same time that he wrote another song, uh, Time to Pay, which would end up being released on his While My Heart Beats uh, solo album. Uh, he said that he felt partly inspired by overhearing a couple break up. And he has uh, said, "Quote for me, it's a song about judgment and not always understanding what's going on with another person." And uh, they released the demo that he made for this on the Pearl Jam 20 soundtrack, which uh, does sound very Jeff on it with his uh, with his voice, even though there's no upright bass on it, which kind of uh, is one of the huge differences, along with uh, Mike McCready on the uh, on the album version that would end up coming out. Nothing as it seems
1: yeah it's the that uh that demo version is really cool to actually go back and listen to to hear like his you know semi-deconstructed version of where the song ended up but at the same time the flavors that he was putting in there you could mean, he he really had a roadmap for what he wanted how he wanted everyone to go with it Um, and it's 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 definitely a really interesting uh start point for where the song went yeah you can hear the sort of a little
0: bit of space that he has in there, This kind of like, okay, I want Mike to do something kind of in these spaces and stuff like that, and you know, when they ended up recording it, they added in a little bit more space for uh, for that, I think, uh, especially too, like after the, uh, the bridge or something like that, going into the final chorus, they add a little bit more in the recorded version than this, but um, uh, what else? I just thought of something, didn't I? Oh yeah, this is also the f- first actual binaural recording you hear on the album that is called binaural
1: (laughs) yeah yep and you can hear it you definitely get the vibe from it that the sound comes through in, Mm -hmm. in a big way it's one of those one of the tracks where you know listening to it um on headphones and or really good you know dialed in speaker setup can be pretty amazing to hear what um chad blake was trying to to pull across with the production on this album I'd always wanted to like hear I, I would love to hear more of like the outtakes from this record and sort of like the original um, mix for not. To, I mean, I I think like just mm-hmm. some of the other songs when they kind of pulled them back and said, OK, let's go and, and remix these. But I would love to just hear how all of this was was recorded in the intended his intended way just to hear what it's like.
0: Yeah, I think that um possibly. On the uh, on the single of this, insignificance might be the binaural version. Um, I, I looked up online, and as I was yes, looking this, it's up, a different. And, um,
1: it's it's definitely a different mix yeah. um, for sure. because yeah, I listen to it back to back.
0: It's like, oh no, there's definitely some more overdubs. Or, so there's it sounds a little stronger in the uh, on the album version than it does on the single. Yep, for sure. Yeah, one of the signature sounds on this uh is mike going uh crazy with his guitar on there um i believe the sound is the uh the fender blender pedal with his uh this boss dm3 analog uh delay pedal and there's also some phaser and wand there the uh the boss dm3 most notable uh compared to the dm2 because it's in stereo so he's got one hooked up in the right speaker and then he's got one uh hooked up to the, another amp or something over there on the left side so when you get your headphones on you can hear like the echoes kind of bounce over there which is uh which is which is why you need to listen to this on headphones every once in a while instead of just uh in your car or whatever <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. And didn't like to hear the, the interplay that, that, you know, what Stone's doing with the, the acoustic on the side, it's just, it's a, it's a great sound mix. And, you know, so like it, it really gets the mood and the atmosphere that Jeff was, uh, you know, obviously feeling for this, um, for this one, you know, it's, it has a, it just has a different type of punch, um, to it. And the, 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 the balance off between the, the guitars, um, for this like the subtlety and the sort of you know i I can't figure out the the word that i was trying to find last night i was listening to a bunch of takes of this but like like listening to the album version it just that that acoustic that stone is playing just has this like really moody uh, just interplay that that really plays off of uh mike solo in a in a fantastic way the haunting Possibly, is that the word? Haunting. Possibly. Yeah, that could be it. <laughs> I would take I'll take haunting for five hundred.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and then I've also heard that um I don't that that somebody said that it kind of reminds them also of the uh REM song Country Feedback from Out of Time.
1: yeah 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 i could hear that yep yeah i mean it's i mean a lot of people go to the the pink floyd reference and i get that um obviously you know um jeff you know actually laid that out to to mike saying like i you know want you to just go wild in this like a um, like Pink Floyd like a David Gilmore type of solo and there's certainly that that vibe to it but I don't know I, I've, I think that's simplifying it a little bit in, in to, to go in that direction or like you know trying to make an easy comparison. Um, it's definitely a very different sound than David Gilmore um, who you know pretty much played you know he had a, a very like straightforward this is how my <laughs> this is how my guitar is going to sound. Uh, song to song versus I think one thing that Mike and actually this whole band does is like they try, they they're good at fitting different soundscapes to create different moods and to Mm -hmm. really play it. And this is one of those songs where I think, um, gosh, I can't remember what, what Cornell says in, Pearl Jam twenty just about um, McCready and his his soloing when he was really he's talking about like when they were doing the recordings for Temple of the Dog and just like astonished about what was coming out of him. That's one of the things that I've always like tried to articulate for people that ask me about Pearl Jam and ask me about or when I hear people talk about great guitar players, McCready, like the thing to me that he has. You know, you talk about people that have the blues or like they have this feel, they get this vibe. He has the pain like he can play pain mm-hmm. in a way that I don't hear other guitar players other musicians sort of get out like he just has this thing where he can he can really get your emotion in a to me in a way that um, is incredibly um, artistic and and powerful and uh, this was like this song and this tour was to me like the beginning. Um, in many ways of him like elevating beyond just uh you know band member he became a like cool a big piece of the the live experience and uh i think he started coming out of his his i don't want to say his shell because it's not like he didn't play before this he clearly you know was doing excellent work and you know was a, a big piece of the band but he just I, for some reason to me this this album and this tour started starts to stick out as like his coming out party in a little bit like his being much more comfortable in his own skin and you know and just uh just really you know emoting himself inside the songs and there's no like shortage of great live versions of this song from the 2000 tour it's just uh night after night after night him experimenting with you know that pedal and that sound and that that you know that vibe that um is just you know it's unmistakably him that's one of the things like i find this song to be like if somebody said who's mike mccready you could obviously go into a place like even flow or something like that but this is a song that i would play for people to say if you want to understand what this guy's about like as a guitar player listen to this
0: yeah he was a like firmly like okay this is him. This is his style where kind of earlier you kind of was like, oh, yeah, that's sort of like the Jimmy Ray Vaughn thing he's got going on or kind of, you know, Van Halen ish. And this is like, oh, no, this is like he has been in his own style for a while. And so like this is this is signature him. And so like this is probably if you're if you're wanting to play guitar and leads and stuff like that, it's was like, OK, like you would listen to like around this era It's like, OK, now this is what I want to copy to sound like mike instead of like trying to you know distill somebody else's influences through him it's like this is a signature him yeah absolutely
1: and then you that, that it's amazing you know to think at the time you know the fact that he just was not in a good place and maybe yeah. that's some of it maybe that's you know maybe that's where some of the that that feel um is able to come from like at least in the recording um, of the album for sure he you know has talked about you know his this was a sort of a both the dealing with his Crohn's disease and also dealing with a second bout of addiction based on um you know never been really clear but it sounds like from taking medications to to deal with Crohn's disease um got him you know back into some issues but um I felt like I saw I mean the I I feel like he was when they were playing, when they were out live, he looked to be in a good, healthy headspace. So I feel like whatever was going on, um, at this time, it was more during the, between the tours, between when they came back from touring Yield and then, you know, getting ready to record this album is probably where that, um, more existed because he didn't, you know, he never seemed, uh, aloof or, you know, uh, he certainly does not sound like someone who is not in his right mind and not, you know, able to uh, competently work um, when they were touring. He sounds great on this tour. I mean, he's a – it's, again, like there's just there's no shortage of, of really great um, guitar solos <laughs> that he's playing night after night just on this song, but then there's, you know, numerous other ones, obviously, you know, this being the tour where they also released everything. Yeah, um, it's uh, it definitely, you know, it's again, it's one that it's it's it fits in that, you know, it's a great way to introduce somebody that's trying to understand what he's about is say, take take a listen, take a listen to this one and let me know what you think.
0: <laughs> Why do you think that they released this as a uh, as a first single? Do you have uh,
1: any thoughts on that? Or I don't. You know, it's I don't know if they were it's it's so hard to figure out like what their process was for things like you go back to no code. And obviously, you know, the first single being who you are, which was sort of left fieldish for everybody and like a different totally different vibe. And then, you know, yield things seemed a little bit more sort of in a lot of people's minds standard with their approach in terms of what they went with, with, um, Mm -hmm. single choices there for the most part, you know, as they, they, they rolled things out, I I cannot put my finger on this other than I I think maybe they thought it just sounded great. (laughs) I think maybe they just thought it was a great piece of art and, you know, really interesting for really what were interesting times too. I mean, this it was a, the the 2000 the beginning like the turn of the century going from 99 to 2000 and obviously they couldn't even imagine what was going to be ahead of them but I mean certainly this the songs on this record and this song in particular you know um, are not you know they're they're not out of place for what was happening um in you know not just their world but you know the the larger, world as it as it extends goes beyond their their city beyond their state beyond their region it's a fitting song when you look back at it to some extent it really does like it I don't want to say dated because it's not like a period piece but you can feel the I can feel and maybe that's just because of you know absurd nostalgia in the sense that like I can remember you know listening to it then but it just has that vibe and feel of the era to a, to a certain extent um, but why they chose it I could only guess that they just felt like it was one of the stronger songs. Um, and they never cared at that point. It wasn't about like, what am I going to get on the radio? What's going to be my hit? It was, um, so, you know, I think uh, to them, it was go with what they, go with what they, they pleased. Um, I can't remember what was next, if it was Grievance or more Light Years, but I mean, they didn't, you know, th- this, there is no, radio friendly uh song on this record in that regard there really isn't something that's like a uh this is like a lot of people would say this is a a, a difficult record um i've heard people say that like it's a hard one to um wrap their heads around um because it isn't you know it's just a di- it's a lot of different topics going on um, mm-hmm. that are that are dark that are introspective that are you know just not um there isn't uh there isn't a song on this record that's that's a, a pick me up. This is a record that you that picks you up because it helps you get through feelings or moods. It doesn't it's not gonna be like, ooh, that's nice and poppy. That makes me feel good. <laughs> I mean, even the songs that they ultimately cast aside on this that, you know, I think are probably pretty strong. I mean, sad is like the from which ended up obviously on lost dogs, which we'll talk about in a different season. Um, but that like that song originally was what called letter to the dead Mm -hmm. and it changes the sad and it has a poppy vibe to it for sure. But it's not, you know, that's a, not a happy song. (laughs) It's not like a, it's not like a, uh, song to, you know, uh, to set a birthday party to, Um, So it's like they I think they just they didn't care at this point about whether or not it sold units. It really was about what they just loved and what and what they wanted to do. And uh, I think that had to be the, the mindset with this was that they just felt like they went into the studio to do this different type of soundscape. And this was probably the most emblematic of it or certainly close to it there's a couple other tracks that that were done or it certainly went out on the record in the uh with bonaro recording technique but I think this just really speaks to what they were doing artistically at the time
0: yeah I think they were this is also kind of uh you know the first uh, record with matt so you have a, a whole another creative input in there too that kind of I think adds a little bit more excitement and kind of like oh we can do these different things now that we got this other guy in here who has a different perspective on things so you know let's 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 see how let's see where it takes us how weird we can get i guess maybe
1: yeah for sure and it was also i mean obviously they brought brennan o'brien back in to do some of the mixing but he wasn't um involved in the recording process um for this one for the first time since versus Mm -hmm. so you know you have a a different vibe going on there. I think, in in many ways, he was always a great read of what the band was trying to do. Um, but this allowed them to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction and have you know just get a different voice and idea into what they were trying to do from a sonic output. With this, um, it's you know it's vastly different sounding record than. Yield and no code, and um, and certainly, you know, there's elements of the rawness in it that I think are similar to like a vitology, but um, just in the raw nature that of how they they sound. But the songs themselves are developed and obviously a much different tone, light, and I, you know, sort of um, idea set from each of the band members that brought stuff in. It's not uh, just it has a little bit of that raw airy dark vibe that Vitology has
0: you know I said that this is uh this is this is a real a real cheery song uh sarcastically I said that uh <laughs> uh lyrically what do you i don't know this is does this is a song hit you lyrically
1: yeah i mean it's it's not i can't say that it hits me like like oh I get it it's just it's it's always interesting to me because it's it's like it's a it's like a story that's difficult to it doesn't you don't know you don't have clarity It doesn't have clarity of of from the beginning to end of what's happening and then knowing you know what jeff's said over the years from you know the beginning stages when they you know did press and interviewed for this and some of the stuff that's come out obviously in like the p j twenty book and things like that talking about how he or what he sort of sp- sparked him um to write about this so it's hard to disentangle from like, you know, his, his explanation of what he was seeing and hearing. But, you know, you can, to some extent, you can see or feel that in those like relationship types of things that happen and, you know, what people go through and trying to navigate, you know, who they are and what they. Um, what they think. I mean, there, there's sort of some strange echoes in, of this with sleight of hand and to some extent because you just get that 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 vibe of, you know, it's a person that's like trying to like deal with what's reality and what's, um, what's sort of a fiction in their head. That's kind of the vibe I get from it. Like that idea of, like, I think that the whole thing of, you know, saving up a sunny day, something maybe um, two-tone, which is a hard one for me to that, that line, because I always want to say something to a tone. I just like, it always comes out to me instead of a two tone to a tone. I just, that I always hear it that way. Um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting, like, way, sort of like, uh, inability to get past my own, uh, what I want the lyric to be. Um, but that whole piece though, like saving up a sunny day, it's like, you know, I'm you know, trying to get my life to go this particular direction and then flipping it to who's kidding rainy day, one day, one way ticket headstone. I mean, it's, it's that, that sort of like what your life, what you th- want your life to be and what your life really is that whole, you know, you, you're the struggle of, uh, uh kind of not being a hundred percent able to grasp or get what you want potentially, that's a lot of what I always got out of it. So, it's that uh, you know, that's it's the struggle that you can randomly see, um, and that that I think that's the whole gist of the whole "nothing as it seems," where you know things can seem perfect in one second, but you witness, you know, like he did, a conversation or an event, or you know, or domestic dispute, as he would put it, it was what he really saw is like, is that who these people were, or was that just a bad day, a bad moment? And it's, um, and you don't know, it's like, it's, it's just, you're witnessing it and you can only, you can only absorb what you absorb.
0: Yeah. Just like, just like the last time we talked on, uh, on pilot, this is another sort of super poetic Jeff sort of obtuse, like, Oh, it's just a lot of, uh, imagery and, uh, cool sounding words, uh, put together.
1: Yeah, it's like uh he he kind of, you know, his his thing is is a little bit more um for lack of better, you know, overused term, avant garde, you know, it's like he's he likes to take an idea and let it be um and and let it have its sort of own legs. Um, you know, it, the, there are, you know, there's probably lots of people that interpret this in vastly different ways. I mean, I think the the beginning part, the whole putting in, inputting in, don't feel like methadone, you know, that always struck me. as like going through this, like that, obviously starting to think about um, somebody who's got addiction problems. Like uh, one of the things I always thought about what like at this stage of the game. Um, And obviously, it's like Monday morning quarterback in the in the most ridiculous way, because you know what you know comes in later in this tour in 2000. But the I feel like 10 years into this band, like Jeff and Stone, in some ways, were probably just coming to terms with some things that had happened a decade before. And maybe thought like maybe some of that sprinkles into this, like, you know, you get, Mm -hmm. you know don't want to look too deeply into it, but there is that element of like the sort of regret or not regret, but like looking back and, and, you know, uh, and sort of melancholy coloring of, of past events. So I always felt like there's like, it's not about Andy Wood. I know that, but there's like a, just like a touch of my past friends in here, these people that are gone type of thing that, that fits that sort of flows through the vibe of it as well. And it's, that's, that's the thing with, with the, the lyrics for, you know, a lot of these songs that you wrote They're they do have a lot of different ways that they can be taken and, and, and ways that they can go down. uh um But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an open book, really. You could, you could, you could listen to this song and probably interpret it, you know, a few dozen ways, depending on the day. <laughs> Yeah, I think that um, that,
0: that specific line um, kind of, you know, putting in, is obviously, or not obviously, but I mean, to me sort of seems like a drug reference. And then inputting in is like sort of the uh, reference to the technological sort of view of the day and also other songs that would come up. Uh, on the same album and stuff, sort of like uh, our, our increasing obsession, almost addiction-like to technology and the internet, and you know, it would be social media and all that other stuff. You know, coming around the corner and everything, just kind of you know trying to numb yourself with drugs and no oh, trying to uh, numb yourself by just being on the computer all the time. Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, and then I think um, what is it the uh, that final verse? Oh, wait, no, no, it's in the bridge. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> and the, 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 the bridge, too, which which is real, where everything seems kind of maybe dark and atmospheric um, in, in the song. In the bridge, it kind of feels like everything is tumbling down. Like, um, it, he's kind of said that this song is also sort of like a, you look back at your past and it's kind of like, oh, you know, things were kind of a little bit more messed up than I remember now that I'm older. And, and kind of like all of that sort of falling apart and you know, you're, you're, the, the scales are falling from your eyes or something. Uh, it, it, is, it seems real familial, at least to me. in that part there, saving yep. up a sunny day, something maybe yep. two tone, anything of his own. Chip off the cornerstone, which you know, chip off the old block or something. But it's, it, you know, it's, it's a cornerstone. It's it's something that's, uh, you know, foundational that's there. You know, who's kidding? Rainy day, yep. one way ticket headstone. You know, you have the future ahead of you and everything. But you know, just because of where you've grown up the way that you've been brought up where your family is and everything, you know, you're going to be stuck in the same dead end Montana town your whole life. And that's where you're going to end up being buried and everything. And occupations overthrown definitely has a different, uh, a different uh, hit to it. Uh, especially now uh, this week that we're recording this, than it possibly did uh, in, uh, in 2000.
1: Yeah. And it's that though, the, the whole thing of the whisper through megaphone i always wondered like what like what's the what's the metaphor he's getting at there is it really just like he's is it the like the culmination of listening to the conversation and these people think that they're having it just privately but you know they're talking about their life mm-hmm. in front of people at a gas station and everybody can hear it that would be there um and i i'm sort of guess that that's the you know sort of clear-cut illusion that's there but i always love that line it's just such a great line a whisper through a megaphone it's such like a it's just such an interesting way to think about how you hear things how you say things and then ed'll either put
0: his uh kind of hands over you know try to add a little different sound to it or live or or they'll actually put a an effect on it or something like that uh Oh, like, yeah. oh, to Even though I think that's more of a sort of a uh, tinny <laughs> telephone, uh, uh uh old vinyl sort of sound. I was doing
1: the <laughs> it's the Roaring
0: Twenties. <laughs> hey,
1: what are you doing there, Toucher? <laughs> The last time I heard them play this, um, it's funny. Like you, you talk about like the, the touch he puts out online. So I saw them play this it was early in the set at Fenway in 2016. And, um, and he, he just belts out this line, um, just like completely from deep in the, in the lungs. And it's such a, a really awesome, uh, this is like an awesome vocal take on that line. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you, during this time, yeah, he definitely did. In the two thousands, it was like the hands over the microphone, creating that muffled effect and you know, odd sort of, almost feedbackish sound on the vocal. Um, but it's just such a, it is that it's just like that line just always struck out or struck out there stuck out um, to me um, <laughs> as just like a, it's just a really interesting metaphor.
0: Um, is there anything else you have uh, about this song? that you want to say that you got in your notes or anything?
1: Uh, I think we touched on pretty much everything. I just like that's It's, uh, it's, it's one of the, the really good, uh, long lasting tracks off by Narl. I like this record a lot, but I think this is one of mm-hmm. one of a handful that really still, you know, stand the test of time. Um, I really, I really wish, somebody could find um the pedal uh for Mike cuz I've heard him say like oh I don't really like playing it anymore cuz I don't have the pedal and like and somehow it can't be recreated and I'm like I feel like that's I feel like that's impossible that it can't be recreated um and you know he's I mean i um, he's not he's a nice person and he's not uh, a a uh, Mr. Burns rich type of person but he, he has money I and mean, I think he could probably find someone to build him the pedal um you Know Fender have the stuff somewhere, but I've also heard, and, well, they've re,
0: yeah, they've reissued the pedal. The, oh, specifically have they? The Fender Blender, yeah. And oh. and um, are there other uh pedal companies and stuff like that that will make sort of uh rip of, sort of like oh, this is a classic pedal that used to be around and we're gonna kind of tweak it a little bit and kind of make our own version of it and everything. But I think, yeah. I think one of the things is that it's there's a lot of effects on it and so like if he were to have the whole setup like he's got to hit like four pedals in order to get (laughs) the sound and so it's kind of like oh I gotta dance I gotta do all that stuff but there are multi effects units that he can just have like one thing uh, for that and plus too like if he's got it's like okay I've got this one pedal that I need just for this one song it's kind of like oh well it's just taking up space that you know you're touring and everything and kind of space is at a premium for you know trucking stuff along and everything and so you don't want to get too too precious with oh i need this one specific thing for this one specific song which is like kind of why i think uh you are kind of <laughs> you know you don't want to lug that uh that box or whatever to get the guitar effect on that for just that one song and it's kind of like okay cool yeah how many times
1: are we going to do it during the tour maybe once oh do we really want to take it for the whole thing yeah that's a that's the challenge that they have with some of the stuff that they've done studio wise it's like the the way to interpret it live can be, you know, either has to be reimagined um, so that they, you know, aren't, you know, trying to recreate something that they did um, purely on the record. But um, I'll be his roadie for this. I'll do it. I'll carry <laughs> it. <laughs> if you need, if it he needs, back. <laughs> if he needs, if he needs someone, I'll volunteer as tribute. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Patrick. Um, I've been wrapping these up. Uh, since this is uh, a Pearl Jam 30 year, by asking people like Ed is asked at the end of single video theory, and so I'll I'll pose the question to you, uh, Patrick. What does Pearl Jam mean to you?
1: Um, I you know to me they they mean um, I don't want to be over dramatic, but they mean everything. I mean this this band took me from a place of being sort of artistically isolated and not very open-minded and uh, adventurous to, frankly, who I am today. I mean, everything that I've done from being a music fan, um, which I know is like, okay, well, what does that even mean? But, um, but you know, I love listening to music. I think it's a huge uh, part of who I am. Some people love reading books. Some people like seeing movies, you know, and for me, it's music. And this band has, has been at the core of that. Um, you know, they have made me change who I am and think about things and, and they consistently do that. They make me really sit back and question, okay, am I right about that? Am I right about this? Um, oh, or that's a really interesting way to think about, Life, or to think about a topic, um, and and recalibrate what you think, um, or what you think you know, uh, versus what what possibilities there are. So I can't even imagine what my life would be like not having heard this music. You know, there's been times where early on I was, you know, heavily, heavily, heavily invested in, you know, hearing everything for for the longest time, then there was certainly due to life, um, you know, periods where I probably took a break and I think back to it and how much I probably could have used them (laughs) at the time. Um, And, you know, and not just them, I even like music itself. I had, you know, took, you know, kind of put on the back burner from, from listening to as frequently as I would, but these guys opened the door to, You know, everything I listened to, to some extent, you know, they they just changed um, how I perceived music Um, and uh, it would be impossible to imagine what life would be like without their records in it. Um, And then the other records that they ultimately turned me on to and the other music that they turned me on to and the other art that they turned me on to. It's. And not trying to make it like, uh, you know, bigger than, than reality, you know, or like overstated, if you will. But I just, I can't even fathom uh, who I would be without having all of these records. Uh, and, and, you know, to this day, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still digesting the new one, um, you know, as often as I can and, you know, finding new things and new thoughts and new ideas in there and, You know, I think, uh, you know, I look at, you know, hopefully what the what the not too distant future is. And one of the things that's great about this is like the people that are into this music um, and, you know, what everybody gets out of it. And uh, I look forward to being able to go to shows with with everyone. You know, (laughs) it's uh, we've met through, you know, podcastings. I've met so many people, you know, for the longest time. That what I used to do with this band was listen to the music and trade tapes and CDRs, and you'd write little notes here along the way. I met some of those people touring, and I think one of the things that I missed out on um, for a brief period of time with this band because I was just in a different life stage was like the, the point where it really became a huge community like, but when I say huge, it wasn't overwhelming. It was just like, everybody was into it as an event. Mm -hmm. I saw like the beginning stages of that in 2003, where it became, it started to become much more about, you know, people going to shows and going to tons of shows and meeting up and talking. And I saw that a little bit. And then my touring waned a lot in um, in the late aughts just because of again it was it was a little bit more difficult to do but i'm looking forward to being able to go out and you know go to shows and see everybody and and talk and and see this band play and and you know just grateful that they're still there um making meaningful music you know for for everybody to to think about talk about and and uh and enjoy yeah so everybody where you're Damn masks.
0: <laughs> the take care of each other. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. It's not it's a simple it's a really simple thing. I mean, I understand when people get overwhelmed by feeling like they're being, oh, I don't want to be told what to do, but this isn't like a this is just like basic common sense and respects for your own self and your neighbors. Like just just be decent, you know. It's like it's not a it's not a it's not a huge ask, you know, it's just, it's like, you know, we're everybody, you know, it's a, there's a great line from, I mentioned it earlier, the Fenway show when they were playing sirens and, um, Ed's talking about him and Jeff having a conversation where, you know, we're all alone in this together. Um, you know, and I've thought about that a lot, you know, since, since being at that show for a variety of reasons. And I think, You know, it's it's easy to say it's harder to do, but you just hope that, you know, people can understand that and work towards that, that, you know, as bad as things can seem sometimes, sometimes we make them more overwhelming than they actually potentially are. And, you know, there's there's ways that, you know, we can all do little things just to work harder about getting along and and taking steps forward and not being so rigid or concerned or hyper or you know just you, you can you can do better by yourself you know and we can all do better by everybody by just by doing those little things and obviously like you just said wearing a mask it's a little one and please you know like if there's anybody <laughs> that listens to this that's like I don't want to get vaccinated just do it you know it's not <laughs> you know I can and if you're conf- concerned about it talk to people who know and then and 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 i think you'll find that it's not it's not uh, not something that's something to be feared but it's important <laughs> cuz if you want things if you do if you want to take the masks off then we got to get a lot of people vaccinated there's just no way about that yes you
0: can't have your pudding if you don't eat your meat just like pink floyd said just like it's uh tinged with this track and kind of trying to tie it all together very messy with the kind of callback something i don't know <laughs> did i succeed <laughs> i think you did all right i'll take that thanks for coming on patrick it's always good talking with you
1: absolutely thank you for having me brandon
0: the better brand podcast is produced by listen and brandon palomo and published using a creative commons attribution share alike 4.0 license please visit creativecommons.org or email listen at gmail.com for more details All Music Played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from BetterBandPod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you'd like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash brandonp and leave me a $3 tip. Or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com, or send any insights and stories you'd like to share, and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Patrick, and as always, this is Brandon saying... Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such educational films as 2 minus 3 equals negative fun and Firecrackers the Silent Killer.